Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 23rd. We are now 10 days into this reimagined, condensed clay court portion of the 2020 season, and it feels like now we sort of know what to expect from these players. Of course, it helps that for the WTA, we had a couple of clay court events in Palermo, in Prague, prior to the action starting in New York. Of course, for the ATP Tour, we did have some clay court events prior to uh, a global pandemic, obviously taking away this 2020 season, but we got to see guys like Christian Guerin, Casper Ruud, Thiago Sabathvild have a little bit of success back in February. Of course, those were players we can now circle as guys to watch as we move towards the start of the year's third and final Grand Slam, but you know, adjusting from hard courts to clay is never going to be easy. It's made that much more difficult when you're forced to do it in under a week, when you're forced to go directly from New York to your first clay court event. Of course, for so many of these players traveling internationally, the various uh, safety and health protocols they have to follow as well in order to do so, that undoubtedly is going to affect their training. Nevertheless, now that we've seen 10 straight days of clay court action, now that we've seen players play multiple matches, get multiple repetitions, multiple data points for us to analyze, I'm starting to feel more comfortable uh, about what I think is going to unfold over these next two weeks uh, in Paris. Of course, if you follow along on our GSP Aces of the Day, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here recording at 4 p.m. on Wednesday. Not going to be talking about these matches on today's mini break podcast, but I will say we had a little bit of success today. We said Christian Guerin, if he's going to be the threat we think he can be on clay, he needed to get a big win today in straight sets. Now, you know, for Guerin, he did have a tricky opponent, but nevertheless, we thought with his odds for Christian Guerin, in this one. I believe he was minus 175 today over Yannick Konofman. Yannick's been great of late, but if Christian Guerin's going to be a threat to make the second week, it was a match he needed to win. He did so. That was a hit. And then we had a parlay. RBA Sabalenka, minus 122 odds together. You parlayed them, uh, and they both managed to pull off three-set wins. So again, what that is to say is now we're starting to see patterns emerge. Now we're seeing to, uh, starting to see players find their rhythm. Of course, you look at a guy like Daniel Medvedev, and we'll get into it in a second. He only had, you know, it was his first match on clay. He lost a straight set battle against Ugo Umbert. This is where it's important to watch the matches because, yes, it was a first round loss, but twofold. A, Ugo Umbert 
has been playing really, really good tennis of late. He's had multiple reps on the dirt. B, that was an either-or match. That was a two-break decided this match. Daniil Medvedev was serving uh, to stay alive in both sets and and just ended up getting broken. Nevertheless, uh, you know, really good tennis across the board. So, of course, I want to talk about that tennis here on today's podcast. We've got the action in Hamburg, the action in Strasbourg, French Open qualifying, challengers and ITF events, and, of course, all of the various storylines that take up day in, day out, uh, that emerge, I should say, day in, day out throughout the tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to talk about it here at Cracked Rackets every day is because of the support we get from our sponsors at both Midwest Sports and Aerobar. And you know the deal. Midwest Sports, the uh, all of your tennis equipment needs, they're able to meet that and more. Their staff able to help you with any questions you may have. And if you use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders, over $75. And of course, best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. I mean, I'm serious. Rackets, strings, clothing, you name it, they've got it. We say it all the time here at Cracked Rackets. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports is going to help you look good. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. I like feeling good. It helps me do these podcasts. When I'm feeling energetic, when I'm feeling confident, just in a positive mindset, uh, it certainly gets me off to a good podcast. And what I turn to for my little energy boost, whether it be podcasting, whether it be on the tennis court, whether I'm about to go to a run, simply put, it's become a part of my daily routine. Uh, My friends over at Aerobar, a delicious, only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, awesome honey, uh, cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. And of course, best of all, it comes with a podcast, our Getting to the Point episodes, focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game. Uh, You can listen to those week in, week out now on our Cracked Interviews podcast. You can go support your friends at Aerobar. Get your first case by going to aerobar.com using that promo code CRACKED15. Okay. With that in mind, let's get into the tennis. And of course, I'm sure all of you are wondering, so I suppose I will say this real quick. We know French Open right around the corner. You all want to start getting ready for that. You want to know what are the biggest storylines? Who are the contenders I should be looking out for? Uh, Rest assured, we here at Cracked Rackets will have you covered. Our first preview podcast now released on the Great Shot podcast feed, that uh, show Features myself and Steve Weissman talking about the biggest storylines heading into the event, how we think COVID, uh, COVID-19, the safety and health protocols in place, uh, will impact maybe what we see in the draw. We've already seen a wave of players uh, forced to withdraw because either they or their coaches tested positive and they were in the vicinity of that coach. And so, uh, obviously, holding an international event of this caliber in the midst of a, uh, a global pandemic, never going to be easy. So we talk about that. Uh, we talk about about our top contenders. I break down the men's contenders in more, uh, I suppose, with more specific, with more specifics. There we go. Specificity was the word I was looking for. Leave it all in West off. Uh, with USC men's tennis head coach, Brett Macy. You're all going to be able to hear that tomorrow. Of course, we'll get into the women's top contenders, our dark horses as well. And then as soon as the draws come out, we'll give our picks for this year's French Open. A couple of really fun guests still lined up. So be on the lookout for that content, not just through the end of this week, but all weekend long as we try and get you guys ready for that first match. Is is it tip-off? I guess for the first serve of the first match. And with that in mind, let's turn to the action we're seeing this week, our last preview before these players kick off their action in Paris. Let's start with Strasbourg, where we had a couple of really fun matches across the day. Now, you look at these results, and all four matches ended up going in straight sets, but 
All four also featured a tiebreaker, and they were four very close matches. The first one I want to talk about, Jill Teichman taking on Anastasia Pavlchenkova. Pavlchenkova quarterfinalist these past two years at the Australian Open. Of course, Jill Teichman looked so good at the top seed Open in August. Those slow, high-bouncing hard courts suiting her game beautifully. She ended up rolling to the finals before she got knocked off by Jen Brady. But you talk about Jill Teichman, another one of those really talented young players right now on the WT. To her 23 years old. You look at where she's at currently in the rankings. Teichman sitting at number 54. That's two off her career high of number 52. Of course, she's got three finals in her career at the WTA level, two of them coming on clay. In both of those instances, she knocked off Mukova and Burtons, respectively, to win the event. Last year did not get into the main draw of qualifying. Certainly, that will not be a problem for her moving forward. And I'm just going to be honest, depending on where she lands in the draw, Jill Teichman is a name for me that I think can 1,000% do what a Jessica Pegula did at the U.S. Open or a Shelby Rogers, just the way her game suits the clay. Now, she's got big ground strokes, but because of that, she hits heavy balls. She's able to move the ball around the court. When she's hitting that forehand cleanly, I mean, there's just so much action on it. It's so difficult for her opponent to get a clean strike, and of course, she's a lefty as well, so it's different patterns than opponents are used to. She plays slice really well. She's comfortable serving and volleying. She's comfortable drop shotting. She's really, really a comfortable mover on the clay. Another one of those players, again, who I will point out, slides into their shots, not out of them. Now, she can be overwhelmed with power. Those big backstrokes do get her in trouble. Sometimes that forehand will sit short. Sometimes that backhand or the second serve will sit a little bit short. And then someone like Anastasia Pavlchenkova, who's obviously got exceptional firepower, will be able to take advantage of it. And you look in this match, Pavlchenkova, down for much of that first set, was able to just scrap and claw her way through it in this match, uh, 11 total breaks of serve, a lot of trading of breaks here. You know, for Pavlchenkova, she made 65% of her first serves, but it's a credit to Teichman was able to take control of almost every point Pavlchenkova was serving. She holds Pavlchenkova 26 of 52 on first serve points, 12 of, of 28 on second serve points. Again, overall, 38 of 80 on service points. Jill Teichman winning over 50% of her uh, returning points, and then she was over 50% on her serve as well, won 65% of the first, 51% of the second. I know scoreboard-wise, 7-6-7-5, this was absolutely a dogfight, and it's a credit to Pavlchenkova, who kept swinging away, who kept giving herself chances, excuse me, uh, in this match to fight back, but I just really like the game of young Jill Teichman. I think she's fit as a fiddle. I think the lefty presents so many interesting uh, wrinkles for her opponents. And then again, the fact that she's comfortable serving and volleying, the fact that she just seems to be, clay tennis just seems to be so ingrained in her, the patterns necessary, the the need to change directions or just take time away from your opponent. She does that so well. It was a really good win for her uh, to advance here over Pavlchenkova into the quarterfinals. And I very much look forward uh, to seeing how she competes on day five uh, when she matches up, I believe, let me see. Who does Jill Teichman play, actually, in the quarterfinals? She matches up, matches up with Alina Svitolina. That's a fascinating matchup because for Svitolina, who, again, still trying to find her rhythm, she was one of those players who opted out of going to New York, justifiably so. There will be absolutely no criticism here uh, for any of that play, those players who made that decision. Uh, she got a really good win, 7-6-7-5 over Magda Lynette. And we've talked about Svitolina a lot because she was someone I wanted to watch in Rome to 
really figure out what her level was going to look like coming back. And she continues to find her match legs with each uh, passing match. You know, the win over Lynette, she made 60% of her first serves, won both 57% of her first and second serve points. Uh, And just more importantly, she gave herself a chance in every point she played, you know, for Lynette in this match, 11 of 33 on second serve points. When Svitolina is dictating the terms because she is also really adept at changing directions. And, you know, she she goes 100%. She's turning into every ball. And I don't think she can over... You know, she's not in the power category of an Osaka, of a Sabalenka, but her relentless aggression. I'd call it Simona Halep point eight, right? Simona Halep light. It's not to... That, and by the way, that's not to diminish Svitolina. That's to speak of how highly I think of a level... Uh, how highly, excuse me, I think of Simona Halep and just the level she's reaching right now. I think Svitolina is outstanding. Um, and I, again, it was a really good win for her over Lynette, who's playing some really good ball right now, who's going to move really well around the court, who's going to spring with some popping athleticism, some some firepower you don't expect from her. But Svitolina was just so relentless in this match, and it's corner to corner to corner. It's down the line, cross court. She'll throw in the drop shot as well. I really like her variety. It's a really nice all-court game. It's obviously why she has success on every surface, why she's become a top 10 player. She's rounding into form, and that's a dangerous prospect for every other woman in the French Open draw. So a great win from Svitolina today, in ter- uh, from Svitolina yesterday, excuse me. In terms of the other winners, Alina Rabakina, we've talked about her enough. I'll just say this, Cornet uh, stuck around. She scrapped, she clawed, she fought off match points. In the end, Rabakina, 3 and 6, 10 8 in that second set breaker, but. Courtney just didn't have a weapon to hurt Rabakina, and if you can get her stretched to the outer thirds, then you have a chance, but if you just keep giving her clean looks in the center of the court, she's just going to bat you around the court. She's going to hit the big forehand, the big backhand down the line. She's going to move in behind it, confident with her first volley. This is a really good win for Rabakina over an Alize Cornet, who's playing really well, who obviously moves so comfortably on the clay, but just didn't have enough firepower to hurt Rabakina, and that is another little data point to note, depending on who she comes against with in the draw. If it's a power player, I become a little bit more concerned. If it's someone who's not going to be able to hurt Rabakina, she likes to inflict damage and she can do so successfully. And that's something to obviously watch. The other winner on the day, Shui Zhang, she gets a really nice win over Clara Burel, the talented young French woman. This was a match I had circled as a potential upset alert. And Burel came close, but just too much variety from Shui Zhang, such a talented player. I mean, there's a reason she's, what, top 35 in the world. Really good win for her to advance. And of course, we have another fun slate of round of 16 matches today. Burton's Ostapenko, Diaz Habino. Uh, of course, we've also got Alexandrova taking on Sinyakova, Blinkova against Sabalenka. All matches I discussed at length in our GSP Ace of the Day preview podcast. So if you want to hear my thoughts heading into those ones, spoiler alert, they held up pretty well. Uh, but we will talk about them more tomorrow on the Mini Break podcast. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. 
Let's move now to Hamburg, where we had tons of interesting results. And again, I don't want to break them all down uh, because you take some of them with a grain of salt. For instance, you know, Daniil Medvedev's loss to Ugo Umbert. It's twofold because A, you look for Ugo Umbert, the things he has done well of late for Umbert. Uh, You know, he goes from the U.S. Open to Rome. He knocks off Anderson. He knocks off Fodnini. Incredible three-set match against Shapovalov. Here in Medvedev's first match since New York, first match on the clay, uh, Umbert just, you know, really legitimately just takes it to him. I mean, played such a high percentage match, made uh, 73% of his first serves, won 70% of those points, 63% of his second serve points, you know, fought off two of the three break points he faced for Medvedev. He fought off two of the five break points he faced. Simply put, I mean, Ugo Umbert was just a little bit better than Daniil Medvedev today. His shot tolerance for Medvedev was matched that. He stayed so patient. He waited to open up the forehand for himself. And, you know, just the flatness of Medvedev's ball, it's not as effective as it is on a hard court. And so a lot of this was on Ugo Umbert's terms. And he was just so patient physically. Again, he's your definition of a modern player. 6'3", 6'4", lefty, good length, fluid, big serve that wins him easy first points. And he just played an outstanding match. I think this result had more to do with Umber than it did with Medvedev. And again, I'm not concerned for Daniil Medvedev. I thought he showed a pretty good level in this one. All of the clays that ex- uh, issues for him on clay that have existed in the past still exist, but that doesn't mean he's going to get knocked out first round of the French Open. Uh, he's still as tough of an out as anyone on any surface three out of five sets, but Ugo Umbert is a threat, folks. Ugo Umbert is legitimate, but, you know, God help the 20 to 30 seed, that person in that range who's got to face him in the second or third round, because I'll tell you now, if that's who it is, upset Ugo Umbert, I'll have him moving on. He's looked that good of late. Fantastic result for him. Another fantastic result for one of my all-time favorites, as you listeners know, Yannick Hanefman, the talented young German, uh, young German, excuse me, he's 28 years old. Young is probably not the best adjective, but the talented German former USC standout All-American winner of three championships in four years. Uh, he was part of that, you know, or was he three and four years or was he two and four years? Two and four years, excuse me. He's a year older than Ray Sarmiento. Notice though how I have that all glued. I mean, Yannick Hoffman, he played, you know, he was the one who clinched it over Justin Shane at five singles his freshman year, the passing shot he hit against Alex Damajan in the semifinals. I'm not going to keep doing this every time I bring up Yannick Hoffman. I just keep doing it to point out we miss college tennis. And if you're a college tennis advocate, even in the midst of all this French Open stuff, even in the midst of uh, all of us enjoying pro tennis. Don't forget, there are still battles to be fought. There's still college tennis needs your attention. It needs your support more now than ever. Don't forget about it because if you do, then the Yannick Hoffmans of the world, they're not going to be able to thrive uh, the way that they do because for Yannick, you just see it. You know, the comfort he has in his game, his willingness to serve and volley, even on clay, the almost hubris he shows in throwing in some drop shots sometimes or just the boldness of his shot selection, his kick serve on the ad side, his plus one forehand. He just... He plays to win, and there's a lot of Peter Smith USC brand in his style of play. If you've seen those USC kids play during the Smith era, you see it in Yannick Hoffman, and obviously it's successful. Emilio Gomez, we'll talk about him a little bit. Uh, he's had success at the French Open qualities. Roberto Quiroz, obviously Steve Johnson on top of it all. That, I mean, look, Yannick, a 4-3 and three win over Gael Monfils, and Monfils didn't play his best tennis, but for Yannick Hoffman, made 69% of his first serves— 
32 of 35 on those first serve points. He had two break chances, one in each set. He converted both of them. He was 9 of 16 on his second serve points, fought off the only break point he faced. Sometimes a margin in a pro tennis match is as simple as two good games. And again, if this match goes five, I do think Ayal Monfils could have extended it the distance. I think he was finding his rhythm as this match went on, and I'm not that concerned for Gael Monfils uh, heading into the French Open. I don't think he's going to be subject to an early upset. This is, again, a testament to how well Yannick Hanifman is playing right now. Yannick back inside the top 100, in fact, in the live rankings at a new career high of 97, justified, earned, well done, my friend. So happy he is healthy. Uh, a guy I get to stay in contact with a little bit now. And, you know, I, I just know he, he deserves it just completely. So shout out to you, Yannick Hanifman. Shout out to Karen Hatchinov. This was probably the most seesaw battle of the day. Hatchinov, a 7-6-4-6-7-5 win over Jan Leonard Struff. Two guys who, in theory, you could see it, depending on where they land in the draw, making a round of 16 at the French Open. Both just big servers, easy games, comfortable moving on the clay. Uh, Hatchinov, I think, is a quarterfinalist at the French Open before, I know, for Struff. He hasn't done that, but he's listed clay as his favorite surface. It's the surface he also has the highest winning percentage on in his professional career. Uh, Struff was up, I believe, 5-2 maybe, or maybe it was 3-0. I know he was up breaks at multiple times and served for that uh, for the match as well in that third set, but... Hatchinov's going to Hatchinov. 61% of his first serves go in. He wins 73% of those points. He holds Struff to 24-56 on second serve points. When Hatchinov gets a look at a first forehand cleanly, he can dictate the terms of the point. He's another guy who's sneaky comfortable for his frame moving on the clay. And look, he saved 9 of the 14 break points he faced. Uh, yeah, that was Struff created 14 to Hatchinov's 9, but sometimes again, Five breakers of serve in the match for both players. Hatchinov won the first set breaker. You look at total points. Hatchinov won 13. Struff 102. It was an either-or. It was an absolute battle in this match. And for Hatchinov, it's about building confidence. You could see him struggling there. He loses so he's lost so many close three-set battles of late. You look back, you know, for him, of course, at the uh U.S. Open, the match he lost. Even before that, he loses to RBA in Cincy, right? That was a three-set match. He really, he won that first set, had so many chances to pull away at the start of the second set, wasn't able to do it. At the U.S. Open, he's up two sets to one on Demon Hour, has chances, just unable to get over the finish line. In Rome, he's up, uh, you know, it's uh, he splits sets with Casper Ruud, loses that one uh, in a bunch of deuce points, but 6-1 in the third as well. And now for him here, uh, that's a much-needed three-set win over Jan Leonard Struff for his confidence moving forward. Of course, Hatchinov's going to be a top 15 seed, and so second week is the expectation for someone with that seeding, and you know, Hatchinov, a 96er, he's 23, 24 years old right now. It's time for him to ha- set and make round of 16s as the expectation if he's going to do the things we think he's capable of, you know, multiple slam quarterfinals, a guy who's competing for year-end finals, competing at Masters 1000s events regardless of surface. 
it's time for that. A result like this obviously helps build confidence to make that possible. Now, again, I think his match tomorrow against the Deuce, Dusan Lajevic, who's an outstanding player, that's a it's time to put up or shut up sort of match. That's a, if I want to say I have momentum going into this French Open, you got to beat the Deuce if you're Karen Hatchinov. Uh, so that will be a really interesting one to monitor tomorrow. Uh, literally tomorrow, Thursday, that match was not played Wednesday. Uh, so that's one to monitor. A couple of other notable results. Speaking of put up or shut up, Christian Guerin, 0-3 over Kei Shikori. That's exactly what we wanted to see from him. He went ahead and did it. Ditto for Roberto Bautista Agut. First match on the clay, 4-3. and Straightforward performance over two-time defending Hamburg champion Nikolaus Basilashvili. Exactly what we wanted to see. FAA, much-needed win, 2-6 and six over uh, Lorenzo Sinego. Dominic Kopfer, outstanding to back up his quarterfinal in Rome with a three-set win over Yoshi Nishioka. I mentioned the deuce. He got a win over Adrian Manorino, who is sneaky bad on clay throughout his career. Uh, and then the last two I would mention real quickly, the boob, Sasha Bublik, 6-2, over ARV, Ramos Vinoles. Uh I mean... Bublik threw an underhand serves. Bublik gonna Bublik. I think enough said there. That was a funky one. But then Fabio Fognini. 4-6-6-1-7-5 over Philip Kohlschreiber. Talk about a guy in need of a win. Did not look good in Kitzbühel. Uh, did not look good in Rome. Finally gets a singles win here over Kohlschreiber. Fights back to after just a sloppy first set. Just started doing those Fonini things, right? Tracking down that extra ball. Throwing up the two-mile-in-the-sky lob to get the point back to neutral. Or just slapping winners cross-court. Taking balls early. Uh, the sort of stuff he did to win the title in Monte Carlo. That's not there yet. But he's starting to resemble Fabio Fognini more and more, and that's a good thing. Uh, Still a guy I'd have on upset alert heading into the French, but uh, a really good win for him. And we'll see how he handles himself moving forward. You start to look at this draw. We do have some of the quarterfinal field set, uh, but, you know, really fun players in the round of 16. Guys like Tsitsipas and, you know, Hatchinov, Christian Guerin, FAA, Andre Rublev, Roberto Bautista, Agut, Casper Ruud. All guys you could see making second week runs. Honestly, Ugo Umber in the two second week runs at the French Open. So we continue to learn more and more from these results on tour. In terms of the French Open actually getting underway, we do have qualifying results to discuss. Once again, the women kicking off their play yesterday, the men continuing into day two. You look for the women, much more stable than the men as always. Only eight upsets on the day. The highest seed to fall, uh, Buzarescu, uh, she loses her match. Now Vilyakenseva, Serenko, uh, Kakova, Kachova, excuse me, Dalahide, Arcanada, Victory, Osigwe, the other seeds who lost on the day. Hey, great shot. Americans 2 and 5 overall. Ann Lee, Francesca DiLorenzo getting the wins, uh, joining Osigwe, Dalahide, and Victory, Arcanada, and Anderson uh, were the Americans, unfortunately, who fell a little bit short on the day in terms of the college players. Again, I mentioned them. DiLorenzo, a winner. Uh, Robin Anderson, unfortunately, not able to get over the hump. Uh, and again, well, there's so many qualifying results, right? So as we get closer to the finish line, we'll break those down more in depth. For the men on day two, far more stable. There were 17 three-set matches on day one, only three three-set matches on day two in terms of the Americans, only two in action, both of them. Uh, losers on the day, unfortunately. Ty Kwiatkowski, Bradley Klon, both falling short. College players 0-4 as Kwiatkowski, Andrew Harris, Brad Klon, and Roberto Sid all losing their matches. And then in terms of the upsets we had on the day, 
three t- uh, 20 seeds go down. Gayo, uh, Bradley Klon, and Mohamed Safawat all losing their matches. So that's where we're at after French Open qualities through day two. Again, plenty of exciting matches there on the day. I liked a lot of underdogs to win on Wednesday, and I'm not going to lie, 9 of 12 on the underdogs. To hear those picks every day, folks, GSP Ace of the Day. Put some money in your pocket. Why not do it with our friends at DraftKings? Anyways, uh, no, see, all this all of this boasting I'm doing is just leading to just a terrible downturn. What I'm trying to say is we're starting to see patterns again. We're starting to sort of figure out, okay, now we sort of know what's real. Now we sort of know what isn't real. Uh, that's what I'm trying to emphasize to all of you. And of course, there's just so many fantastic opportunities, so many matches going on. Uh, might as well enjoy it all, get in on the action. If we are tennis fans, uh, or as we are tennis fans now, that's the French Open quality results. Some other cool things going on right now as well. Uh, You look at in terms of some of the challenger results we've seen yesterday. We saw guys like Bjorn Fertangelo make his return to the court, a three-set win for him over Filippo Baldi. Lorenzo Musetti following up his result in Rome with a win over Gabashvili yesterday as well. Caruso, Seppi, uh, Bonadio, all the other Italians to win uh, in Forli at the challenger this week. We also got wins from Alexander Richard and Michael Verbin of course, there will be more fun action there throughout the week in terms of the challenger in, I believe, Romania this week. You know, former standouts uh, like Orlando Luz, he got a win. We saw Mark Husler continue his good form. Denali, Barrios Vera, uh, Cervantes, a bunch of fun results again. So there's challenger tennis all throughout the day. If you miss any of it, you can find it all on livestream.com backslash ATP. Or I think it's actually just slash. So livestream.com slash ATP. The best part about that that, all of it's free. So might as well take advantage of a little bit of free tennis while you can. For Salvatore Caruso, feels worth noting, and we talked about the Italian men uh, on a recent pod, but he's number 84 in the world right now. New career high for the 27-year-old. So as we like to say here, hey, great shot to him. For Dominic Kofor, by the way, new career high number 61 right now. Hey, great shot to him. Ugo Umbers at number 41. Casper Ruud at number 30. You know, Denis Shapovalov, number 10. Berrettini, number 8. Dominic team number three. We're seeing a lot of career highs across the board. We're seeing players playing their best tennis, and that's all we can ask for as tennis fans. Now, you know, a couple of other quick pieces of news as we head into or, you know, as we approach this French Open, I mentioned if you guys are looking for more preview content, be sure to check out the website, crackedrackets.com. Be sure to check out the podcast as well, where we are rocking and rolling. A couple of other quick news items, you know, I haven't talked about uh, some of this COVID-19 protocol, some of the the information we continue to learn uh, from France. We are focusing all that content again in our Great Shot podcast, but we did learn one of our favorite events to close the season, the Australian. And open wildcard challenges the USTA puts on. How many players have we seen have success in Knoxville, in Charlottesville, in uh, Tallahassee? They go on to leverage that success into a successful run to kick off their Januarys of the following season. They take that wildcard into the Australian Open and run with it. Uh, obviously, we knew there were going to be sacrifices given we're in the midst of a grand uh, of a global pandemic. That being one of the sacrifices, there will be no Australian Open wildcard challenge this year. That report coming from. 
Colette Lewis. And obviously, uh, disappointing uh, for all of us as those runs of challengers, what that can mean for so many young players. Uh, such a fun ending to the year always. So disappointed we're not going to get to see that. Uh, again, I sort of mentioned it, some of these various protocols. We'll talk about them later. But just one fun stat for all of you listeners before we wrap today's show. Here are the active title leaders right now, the top six women uh, right now in terms of total titles won. Serena Williams, 73 titles. Venus Williams, 49 titles. Kim Kleisters, 41 titles. Then you go Kvitova, 27. Halep, 22. Azarenka, 21. If I asked you to rank those three players, Kvitova, Halep, Azarenka, who's had the best career? Curious what you all would say. I probably go Halep one just due to her consistency. I think, you know, again, I mentioned this over these past couple of days, the past seven years, she's been ranked either number one or number two. That's ridiculous. I think when Petra Kvitova, Vika Azarenka are playing their best tennis, they may have higher upsides in that they can show up to a tournament and just run the table for two weeks. Uh, But Simona Halep week in, week out has been so good these past, again, seven years on to a really these past decade. Uh, But it's a fascinating argument. It's a fascinating look. Again, I, I, I'm Simona Halep's place in history when her career is over will be an interesting discussion because she has been so outstanding and she only has two grand slams to her name uh, or titles to her name. But uh, top ten player of all, uh, that's probably a little strong. There have been so many outstanding women. Top ten player of the 21st century, certainly top five player of the 21st century. Now. We're talking, and so I thought all of you would enjoy that little thought piece, especially for her. If she can win Grand Slam number three this year at the French Open, if she can get to like five, six Grand Slams, uh, then she really enters that elite category, that elite conversation. We were talking about the top 10 women in professional tennis open era history. And to be honest, if she finds herself in that conversation at the end of her career, I'm just on a Simona Halep bender right now. I think Halep's so outstanding. I really enjoy watching her game too. So just a final thought for all of you listeners. Of course, another final thought. It's the 50-year anniversary of the original nine. My friend Brett McCormick writing an outstanding story uh, in Sports Business Journal about the original nine, what they meant not only for uh, women's tennis, but gender equality in sport in general and what that moment means reflecting upon it. So many great interviews. He got to talk so many people who were so influential in that original, you know, members of the original nine. And so plan is to bring him on the show at some point this week to talk about it. But of course, 50th anniversary, uh, the women's game wouldn't be where it is without the work, the original nine, and so many did in building the foundation. So of course, it is something we want to explore on this podcast, just waiting for the right guest to do so. But with that in mind, if you have missed any of our action, be sure to go check out our website, crackedrackets.com, French Open Preview Content, the day-to-day grind of what's going on in the tennis world, all of it covered there. Of course, like rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. Be sure to go to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube if you need those immediate updates. You want to message me directly, as so many of you are now doing, and I really do appreciate that. I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out making it possible for us to bring all of this content to you listeners a huge thank you to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar go to MidwestSports.com use the promo code CR15 go to Aerobar.com use the promo code Cracked15 of course a huge thank you as always to our Patreon supporters beyond just you know the financial contributions knowing that we have you guys supporting all of our actions it means the world to us if you want to become a Patreon supporter please uh 
be sure to go check that out. Look at some limited content as well. Uh, some limited, I should say, exclusive is what I was looking for, content for our Patreon subscribers. So if that sounds interesting to you, go check that out. And by the way, you want to be decked out in some Cracked Rackets gear because we've got some outstanding merch. Go check out our store. You can find it on our website, CrackedRackets.com. It makes for great holiday gifts, which we know it's crazy to say, but they're all right around the corner. So be sure to go check all of that out. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. And we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.